What's up, y'all? Welcome to the X and Hilo podcast. I'm your host. I'm Eddie. Good to be back with you guys. I've got my friend here, Sanan, and Sanan is a registered dietitian, and he works with Stronger You Nutrition. He's a coach. He's lived all over the place, originally from Turkey, but this guy's got a wealth of experience, and so I want to have him give his best advice to you guys, and hopefully he's going to change your life, right? Sanan, you're going to change everybody's life today? Uh, that's the goal today, so we'll see what I can knock out. <laughs> no small feat, right? Um <laughs> I think one thing that's interesting is when we're online right now, if you go on your Instagram or your TikTok, there's just nothing but, and I know it's, you know, it's algorithm based. So let's be honest. I kind of like this kind of stuff, health nerd. But if you go on your Instagram or TikTok, there's nothing but a bunch of different diets. Like you've got Paul Saladino talking about carnivore diets and you've got people talking about vegan diets and all these different documentaries coming out. But if I'm someone that wants to just figure out how to get healthy, like what's the first thing I should do? just based on the fact that there's all this confusing information online, like what, what should I do? How do I start? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that's, it is such an oversaturated market, right? There's so much out there and yeah. I say market cause everybody thinks of it as, you know, it's just a, it, it's, it's a field of health and wellness for sure. But there's also a market power in terms of what gets pushed really hard. Like you said, through the algorithms, through the, the marketing power, when we check out even at stores, right, you see magazine fronts, and you're just like, oh, it's talking about this diet. It's talking about that diet. And that stuff has a lot of bias opinion on us too. It kind of drives us to think about those things more frequently. So it is a very, very saturated market. And I think one of the biggest things that we need to do as consumers, if we're ever thinking about where do I start? Where do I get a hold of my health, right? Where do I really grasp this whole diet thing? Um, I think we just need to find a way of stepping away from social media and stepping away and not in a way of just like, Hey, deactivate your account. Don't look at it on there. Just mute some of those accounts. If you're trying to make a change in your life, right? Just start simple because a lot of those things are going to pull you into a complex direction where you're going to say, okay, it's either all out or nothing. And we want to get to a point where we need to find out what nutrition 101 is right. Calories in calories out, which we'll probably end up talking about. We need to get to that level first before we jump to this, like, what are the extremes? How do I make extreme happen? Yeah. And I think that sometimes these online guys, you know, for, for the sake of clicks, you know, it's all about likes, comments, and views. That's the economy. It's the attention economy. I think for the sake of that, a lot of times these guys are trying to hit us with this big punchy thing, yeah. right? They're trying to hit us with that. You know, I forget, like one of those guys talks about like, you know, vegetables are BS, like just straight. And so they're trying to get this like big like reaction out of you because that's what drives the you know drives with the algorithm and drives the comments it gets those views up and in turn they're able to you know sell more product and so you're spot on calling it that right like it is that marketplace and so people are really confused by all this stuff but but if i'm gonna go listen to this stuff it is confusing right like all of a sudden i'm trying to follow this crazy carnivore diet and i've never even been on a diet period like what's what must someone be thinking when they're going through that two weeks into something like that right hundred percent. And I think, you know, you hit it right on the head. It needs to be, if it's a 30 second clip, a 90 second clip, like it needs to be sexy in order for it to get clicked on and for it to be approachable. It needs to have some kind of just like a, wow, I had no idea that was the truth kind of a factor to it. And oftentimes it's really, there's, there's not much science backing those things up with, with a lot of the posts that we see. Right. So that's a scary part of it for sure. Um, And if we're looking at it from a perspective of like, you know, how do you dive into something that's, on the extremer side of like a carnivore diet, right? Just something that like very, very 
focused lens goes to one particular you know ingredient or style of consumption how do you even start and just you know me with eight years of nutrition as a registered dietitian some of these things i still look at and i'm like dude what is happening like i don't even know where to begin if i was to try that right so there's no there's no step one step two involved it's just like hey if you do this, this is the feedback that you get from your body. So just do it. Like it's very clickbaity, like you said, and I think you hit that right on the head. Yeah, clickbaity is right. So have you had? Maybe I'm asking this off the cuff, but mm-hmm. have you had people come to you? Do you, do you? Well, first I should ask: Do you have people track what they eat for a set period of time before you jump into giving them like diet advice? Uh, yeah, I think tracking, you know, we, we do have them track uh, while they're working with one of our coaches as well. And, mm-hmm. and we have them track for not necessarily just a meticulous detail of like, hey, let's look at the numbers. And let's make sure you're not off by a gram or two. It's more so let's track to get an understanding of consistency over time. Um, so we definitely we have everybody track um, while they're navigating through any diet, whether that means like, let's change the ingredients you're consuming. If we shift more towards, you know, plant-based diet, if we shift more towards, you know, moderating certain ingredients based on a health condition. But I think tracking is going to be that foundation. Like if we rewind back to what we just said before, how do you start on some of these diets, especially ones that are like on a much more extreme scale, get an understanding of what you're consuming each day, right? It's so easy for us to dive into something that's like, Hey, buy my program, buy my program, because I can promise you extreme results. Right. But like, it's almost like jumping to a 301 course without doing the nutrition 101 course. Right. It's like, how do you, you need to track, you need to understand energy balance. You need to understand what macronutrients actually are and where your body stands right now for your goals before you dive into the extreme. Have you ever had anybody show up that is trying one of these like pretty extreme 301, 401 diets before. And then you're like, hold on, let's back off. 100%. 100%. I think I would say more than 50% of the conversations, the nutrition consultations that I have are based around, hey, I've tried this before and are are like, I'm giving this a shot. How do I correct my behavior, right? It's just a lot of, it's more reactive and corrective than, yeah proactive conversations of, Hey, can you teach me a little bit about just my personalized nutrition, how I should, or what I should know about the nutrition education before I try one of these 301, 401. So it always seems like it's flipped script. Um, and one of the things too, is that like with a lot of these 301, 401 courses, like if you, again, I, I love comparing to a, a, a college course curriculum because I'm a nerd when it comes to nutrition education, but like, <laughs> You know, if you think about it, a 301 or 401 course is going to be very specifically channeled in on the fine details of something, right? You're never going to go in and like learn just a grand scheme of something in a 401 course. And that's where I think that's where a lot of the problem happens, right? That they're, mm. These people get sucked in so well that they don't get any education on the foundations of nutrition. So it's very easy to soak in, like we're, we're a sponge for knowledge, right? So it's really easy to soak in what someone's telling you when you don't have kind of the foundations or, uh, or the, the structure behind it. it. It feels like to me that most people, if they were to get and you, you correct me if I'm wrong, cause you're, mm-hmm. you're the, you're the expert here, you're the professional, but it feels like for me, because of social media, because the social media is so, so widespread, so wide scale, everyone's on it that most people probably are coming off of, or at least coming into, um, you know, a consultation with, let's say a dietitian, 
with some like preconceived notions of what they're supposed to be doing, or maybe they need to be deprogrammed. Are you finding that's true? And and if that's true, like, are people needing to like sort of like kill old bad habits first? Because it doesn't sound like people are coming in going, like you said, I don't know anything. Please help me. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I no, totally. And I think you know, I think Boston Medical Center had um, research that came out that said estimated about forty five million Americans go on a diet every year. And about 50% of them um, opt for a fad diet, thanks to the marketing oh power and that, that drive that we talked about, right? So that's a lot of people that are coming in, about 23 million folks that are coming in each year of saying, hey, I tried a fad diet, it didn't work, how can we fix it? Um, and I think from the coaching lens, when I first stepped into nutrition coaching back in 2015, um, it was a lot of conversation around how do we, the, the word deprogrammed that you said is, it, it hits home. Like, I love that word because... It was a lot of conversation back then about how do we deprogram some of the older population because they've been in their ways for 40, 50, 60 years, right? right? It's like, how do you change somebody who is not stubborn, but has been doing the same thing for so long that you have to teach them something new or pull them out of what they've been doing? And what I've seen the lens of nutrition and nutrition coaching shift to is we're having those same conversations of how do you deprogram somebody from what they've done or what they're doing, mm -hmm. but not with the 60, 70 year old population. We're now seeing it with the 20, 30 year old population. <laughs> yeah. Cause they're not, it's not like they've just been around a long time. And so they've heard yeah. a bunch of different stuff, right? You yeah. know, maybe in the early, you know, in the nineties, people are like Atkins diet is what I did, or I was yeah. on slim fast, but now it's like, you've got, you've got your, your pick of the litter, like cornucopia of every type of diet out there. And like, I have friends that have literally tried all of these for just a couple of weeks. Like I had a friend that's been vegan. They tried, they, they literally texted me a couple days ago. Like, Hey man, uh, am I allowed to like cook with vegetables on the carnivore diet? You know? And, I, and I'm like, wait a second, you're now on a carnivore diet. Like what, first of all, you barely even moved, let alone, you know, now you're doing such a, such a crazy wild advanced diet yeah. for someone. And so it feels like those basics need to be yeah. so much more popular. What do you feel like are the, the first few things when someone's coming in from one of these crazy diets that you feel like you need to do like practical, like, Hey, you need to go back to the drawing board. Like what are those things? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think the mental state of it is one of the biggest parts, right? I don't want to, again, I don't want to confuse dietitians and nutrition coaches with counselors and therapists, but mm -hmm. there is a lot of, you know, we, we tend to, it's this weird thing that a social media account that has a big following tends to somehow pull somebody's trust more than a professional in the field sometimes, right? And that's one of the scariest yes. things in my opinion. And, and what we have to do is that deprogram, there's a lot of trust building that needs to be done there, right? I think about like, mm -hmm. like stages of change. When these folks are coming in with, hey, I, I know I, I kind of screwed up, right? I went carnivore for two weeks and I shifted over to <laughs> vegan for two weeks and my body, like I gave my body no time to adjust in between the two, hence why I didn't see any change. And now my blood panels all over the place. Like they know what they've done wrong, mm -hmm. but there's still no level of trust yet because they're like, because you're not offering me anything sexy, anything instant gratification driven. Right. So I think a lot of that first conversation is about just, you know, let, let's just figure out what we've done. Right. Don't, don't demonize anything that they've done and let them not demonize any of the food that they've eliminated in any of these wow. diets. Um, and then pull them back into conversation, right? Keto, for example, like I, I can go down a rabbit hole forever, but a lot of the conversations are like, hey, 
I know I'm not performing in my workouts how I should be, right? And mm-hmm. that's why it's not reflecting on why my body composition is not changing the way I want it to be. But I've been on keto for so long or I had such a unhealthy relationship with the keto diet that I'm scared to introduce carbohydrates back into my life, right? That's, that's a conversation I hear, I would say, one out of five nutrition consultations that I do. For me to go into that conversation and then be like, no, you actually need to bring in carbohydrates. Let's go ahead and bring you to 300 or 400 grams of carbohydrates per day. Like that alone would just be like, hang up the phone. I've never talked to this dietitian again. So you need to find a happy medium of like, give bite-sized pieces in terms of how do we integrate enjoyable carbohydrates or really anything that's been eliminated in these extreme diets in a way that they're like, okay, I see what you're putting on the table. I'll meet you halfway and give you this much. And what we need to provide as professionals is the science and the backing behind it so that they're not just coming into it as like, I listened to this person. Now I'm listening to this person. It's more like this is science back. This is evidence back. And that's why I'm okay following this dietitian's suggestions. Yeah. There, you, you're, I think you're speaking to something that most people don't, don't think about a lot. And that's, there's so much more psychology involved when it comes to diet. There's so much more, uh, so much more emotional health that goes on in the dieting than we we would like to lead on. Most of us like to think, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a science experiment. I'm a, I'm a math problem. Plus, this plus this equals this. But the truth is, we all have the, our own specific socialization. We've all been brought up a specific way. We've all been influenced by culture, by social media. And so we have preconceived notions and thoughts of where, what may or may not work. And we have fears in us around things that may, you know, may harm us or what have you. And so what you're doing is, like you said, you don't want to, you don't want to, they're, 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 they're different, but in a sense, they are connected. They're not mutually exclusive. And so, you know, you're having to sort of break down, like you mentioned, not just what I believe is true about a diet and how it will work for me, but also like, what am I afraid of? Why, why have I joined this diet in the first place? And why do I think, you know, what happens if I fail? There's so many other things yes. around the dieting um, that you're going to have to sort of cut through with what on the surface appears to be practical steps and wisdom. Like let's say someone like you mentioned, keto diet, kind of a little, you know, I don't believe carbs work. When in fact, there may be a little bit of like a, actually I have a fear that if I eat carbs, there may be, you know, maybe I'm going to get fat or what might that do to me? And what, you know, what, what does that say about who I am? So there's so much more you're cutting through. And so, man, way to catch that, dude. You must yeah. see that a bunch. Yeah, I think, and it's, that's the scary part, right? I think we're shifting more and more and more in the mental state of it, which is, it's, it's scary to see. Like, it's not the numbers on paper in terms of calories. It's not the numbers on paper in terms of macronutrients. It's not even the ingredient conversations right now. It's more so the population shifting to, like you said, like, you know, having fear around certain things just because they're so bought in to some of these fad diets. And that's, I, I think that's where, again, we're seeing a bigger <laughs> lens of, you know, even negative body image and like certain things like that, right? Like out of the out of the crazy number, the 23 million that we see on a diet every single year and 50% of those trying a fad diet, mm-hmm. like about 62% have dealt with negative body image and that's why they're doing that, right? And then that, so that, that already gives you a scary approach of like, oh boy, like, the reason they're doing something extreme is because they're not comfortable with their body or how they feel about their body. So that's another mental conversation that comes into it. But then where the 
the, the end of the road where we have to be like, okay, pump the brakes, get with the dietitian, let's speak ASAP, is that about 77% of those folks that do a fad diet because they're not comfortable with body image end up reporting some kind of you know inadequate nutrition accuracy, which just ultimately in simple terms means that they're not getting a sufficient intake of essential nutrients to fulfill the requirements for optimal health, right? So it's, it's scary that they're so bought in to some of these things as consumers when they know they're not doing something for longevity or sustainability. And that's where a lot of the, the mental deprogramming comes in, right? Like I have to earn, it's, I think we're at a point in the nutrition field now, especially probably fitness too, to be honest with you, where we have to earn a significant amount of trust from the member before we're able to coach them through a successful session. That's right. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's the social media element of all this, even podcasts like this one. I mean, a lot of those types of people that are enjoying this, there's certainly like people that just had face value are enthusiasts around fitness and health, but there are a large percentage of us that are coming to this conversation with some junk, like something we, like you mentioned, we are fundamentally unhappy with either what we look like or how we're performing. And there's something behind that. And so, and even some of this wild adherence to these diets and what have you, um, all of that plays into this. And so they might be adhering to these things and that, but really philosophically, it's not that they don't, it's not that they don't want the results, but they're so mere, they're so married to something deep in them that, that they just feel like they need to accomplish it. Whether like you mentioned 62% of people with body. And I mean, that's, that's significant, man. We're talking six out of 10 people over six out of 10 people are you know, unhappy because they're too skinny, unhappy because they're too big. And so there's fear and anger and shame and all these things around dieting, exercising. And what you're finding is, hey, man, because you're so married to this diet, because of all these emotional things, maybe you you may or may not talk about explicitly, you're actually deficient in, you're not getting enough protein. You're, you know, you get your blood work done and you're, you're off on all sorts of crazy things because of your adherence to the diet. And so the very thing you're trying to solve your issue with is actually causing you this dysfunction. I mean, talk about a catch 22, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's just, we're, we're going for the bandaid approach of what gives the vanity feedback and we're forgetting about the, the optimal health piece of it. Right. It's, it really is. It's crazy to think about. And, you know, when you would think about those statistics too, one of the biggest things that we're seeing um, in terms of trends and population too, is that like, you know, previously this conception of, body image and diets around body image were around the female population, right? So we're now seeing 69% of males reporting dissatisfaction with their body in terms of weight or how they look too, right? That's a big number for guys. Wow. Like, you know, imagine getting up, going to the gym, come back and be like, ah, great workout, but I still feel like garbage in how I look and just beating yourself up that way. That's why we're seeing this wide cast net of like, I know I have an issue with seeing how I look in the mirror, and I know in order to resolve it, I'm going to go for a vanity band-aid diet, ultimately, mm-hmm. instead of pumping the brakes, figuring out what Nutrition 101 looks like, and then just kind of building in. That's why, like, you know, one of the tangents I could always go on, especially seeing the, um, you know, more and more reports about, um, you know, the teenagers who are unhappy with how they look, mm-hmm. right? One of the things is, like, if we were to be, providing, you know, education in nutrition or healthy eating or lifestyle change or behavior change in some of these like middle school and high school courses, right? Like imagine offering a foundations of nutrition elective in a early Mm -hmm. high school course, right? To give them a better idea, then we wouldn't have, you know, 78% of, you know, 
females when they reach about 17 that are unhappy with their bodies, right? That's a big number. Wow. So we want to, we want to think about those things. And I think you hit it right on the head before when you said the social media piece, we spend so much time scrolling through social media and whether we literally channel in on one person or one post, as we go through some of these, even if it takes us half a second to pass through somebody's post, we start kind of creating this bias in our head of like, if I was a, a character in a video game, what would I look like? Right? Like that's ultimately how I think about it. So like oh, the, yeah. the ideal version of me walking out on the street here on a summer day is like, you know, I need to have a six pack because that's normal for a right. guy in his early thirties. Right. I need to make sure I can squat 400 pounds because every single person I follow on Instagram squats 400 pounds. Like it's their day job. Right. Like we, yeah. we, we tend to create this like very tight window frame around like the internet, which is so, mm -hmm. so, so difficult and so difficult to ultimately unprogram and get them to a healthier headspace. <laughs> and, and it's not real. And, and that's the other, you know, you, not only are you crafting an algorithm, mm -hmm. you know, knowingly or unknowingly that is designed for what you want to see. Like your feet is full of dudes squatting four or 500 pounds. They're all ripped to shreds. They're all on this one very specific diet. And you go, that's the world that must live in. So not only have you crafted that world, but also you're also dealing with the peop the fact that those people are producing performative pieces of social media that are oftentimes doctored and not or not and or not telling you the full story. I know that's true for, you know, my wife, you know, for Sarah. I mean, she's a former college volleyball player and, and you know, her feeds are filled with, you know, women online that are. They're doctored up. They're wearing crazy, crazy amounts of makeup. They're, they've face-tuned and body-tuned themselves. So not only do we have this image of what we're supposed to do, they're also chasing a performative aspect of social media that's not real. Mm -hmm. It's not real. And so it, it's, it's unattainable because it's not even reality. Yeah. And so, wow, talk about shadow boxing that yeah. for yeah. your whole life. Yeah, I think it goes back to that image of fear, right? I think we've, we've come to a point where we create so much fear around what a version of me would look like had I, you know, not done these things or had I not gone on extreme, right. you know, regimens. It's like we, we, we're seeing that that fear more than we've ever had before. So on the back right. side, of, on the coaching side, uh, there's there's a lot more like, trust me, and I, I will guide you through it. Conversations happening more so than ever before. Yeah, of course. Well, then there's, so you've got that side of it, right? But then you've got the, the more stubborn amongst us that, you know, human nature is as such. People just don't want to be, they don't want to feel like they're wrong. It's kind of like, you know, watching the Super Bowl. I don't know how much of a football you're a fan that you are, but like, you know, watch the Super Bowl. Everyone heard about Brock Purdy because he was a quarterback of 49ers. It's, at some point, people just don't want to be wrong. You know, like people scouted a guy, you're like, you ha he has to not be good because we just said he wasn't in the first place. Yeah. So like at a certain point, you know, with Tom Brady, it was like, okay, fine. He won seven Super Bowls. I guess he's pretty good. It's like with diets, we get, we latch onto one and I, I'm guilty of this, you know, even my, you know, coming out of, I was like the protein shake got, you know, that bodybuilding.com, tnation.com. I mean, I was birthed in that era, right? This late nineties, early two thousands. Like that's, that's what it was about. But it comes to a point where it's like, okay, I, maybe you find a keto diet or a vegan diet and you got these, all this different stuff to back it up. Like at a certain point, we just don't want to be wrong. And so when we get into these conversations with a nutritionist, it's like, 
Uh, I mean, what, what about this? And what about that? And we, then we look for confirmation bias, right? We're looking for the study. We're looking for the, the documentary that confirms what we already believe. I mean, are you, do you see much of that like stubborn guy or gal that just is like, or maybe even online, do you see that take place at yeah. all? Uh, for sure. Right. It, it, it's a lot of the, yeah, but conversations that are happening, right? You're like, yeah, but you schedule a nutrition consultation so that we can get down to the root of this problem. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah, but we're here so that we can both try and prove a point and see who wins the conversation. Right. So I think we're definitely seeing that. And I think that like how, how you break that conversation down, like I love, again, when you said deconstruct like that, I love the only win to, way to win that conversation ultimately is to deconstruct it back to evidence and why it's that way. Right. So when I have these conversations right. of like, of like, yeah, like I, I did keto for a little while and keto worked really well for me. So like what you're saying is kind of scaring me because you're talking about, you know, carbohydrates. So like I have a point, right? Like I, I'm, I'm right in what I'm saying, right? Can you just, you know, affirm that? And I think that's where a lot of the difficult conversation happens where in the dietitian field, in the, you know, in the nutrition field, we have to push a little more evidence to be like, hey, you know, you have a point, but like, this is really where the, the, the root of that conversation lies. Um, and that's, that's one of the big things, right? Like I, for example, I just had a keto conversation with somebody earlier today. They're coming off of a keto diet and they're like, Hey, keto worked really well. I lost a lot of weight initially, but I'm seeing a plateau. Is there any way like you can kind of break down why I'm seeing a plateau? Because I shouldn't. And I'm like, I shouldn't. I'm like, you're so confident in saying I shouldn't. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to challenge them, but I'm like, I want to know why you're so confident in the I shouldn't piece because I would love to know the science behind it, right? Keto has always been proven to, you know, have a really good impact as instant gratification because carbohydrates do retain a little bit of water. And when we do reduce water in our bodies, we, the scale tends to drop down, right? So right. I was like, cool. And then I kind of paused there and I let him speak and he was just like, yeah, but like if I'm under consuming, uh, you know, the carbohydrates, then I should be in a place where that, that weight loss should keep going down and down and down. And now my workouts should be getting better. And I was like, hold on for a second. I was like, you just told me without carbohydrates, your workout should be getting better, which should in turn fuel why your body composition is changing for the better. Right. So it's a really difficult conversation of like, they get three steps ahead and you have to pull them all the way back. Um, and there has to be some kind of like a, a very, evidence-backed, but simple, simple understanding of why that happens, right? So like, for example, for that conversation alone, I was just like, you know, think about this. Americans on average eat about 250 to 300 grams of carbohydrates per day, or about 55% of their daily caloric intake comes from carbs, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not demonizing at any point of carbohydrates here, but if at any point I was to pull carbohydrates completely out of your diet, I've dropped your daily consumption by 55% that we have to figure out how to kind of adjust for, but we're probably never going to hit 55% of a drop, right? So I'm like, you're in a caloric deficit, you're consuming less calories than you're burning, hence why you've lost weight, right? But you're going to hit a point in your journey or in your timeline that you're like, hey, my body's adjusted to this like very low amount of calories. And I just don't feel like I can sustain this. I just don't feel like my workouts are fueled the way they used to be. But I don't want to admit that it's the fact that I put away 300 grams of carbohydrates in my very active day. Yeah. So, so they're, they're coming to you and they're saying, well, this worked before. 
Mm-hmm. How do you help me keep it working? Yeah. And it should work because it's supposed to, or it should yes. be because that's the way it is. And you're like, well, you know, let me, you came to me, right? Yeah. So let me, let me help reorient you. And it's like, well, no, it should be because it is. And, and so you're having to break down these like sort of like mental, mental traps that these people have put themselves in and you're trying to like reorient then that being said though there is a lot of different diets and so i want to go back and forth with you on some of these and get your opinions on them and then you you know tell us tell us what what you think works and what doesn't so let's go through some of these we're already on keto anyway keto is one of my personal favorites i've i've used the keto diet at various times you know there's been there's plenty of studies around uh, ketogenic diets with cancer and how, you know, there's been some benefit there. Dominic D'Agostino, some great research around that. But I'd love to get your just your overall thoughts, pros and cons of something like a keto diet. What would you say? Yeah, yeah for sure. So I think, again, for short term, um, especially if we're not curing any medical conditions or, you know, really dealing with any medical conditions using keto. Um, so kind of just to back up there, keto was ultimately designed for medical conditions, right, to cure medical conditions. We see it with epilepsy. We see it with cancer research. Um, but for the average consumer, um, again, I I think it's a very short frame, short feedback kind of a diet in comparison to anything we look at for sustainability and longevity. Um, like I said earlier, like we see a lot of water retention pullback and not water retention in a bad way. Like carbohydrates do retain water naturally. So when you pull Mm -hmm. carbohydrates out of a diet, you'll see some of that water come off and the scale come down. And I think where keto really makes its magic point is that instant gratification where we want to see that number on a scale drop in two or three days. Keto does that really, really well. Right. So I think for like I've had conversations before, again, this is giving keto the the credit it deserves out of the medical field, too, is that I've had conversations where someone's like, hey, I have a wedding in seven days. I need to be as lean and light as possible. I'm like, cool. What are you doing for it? Right. And then their response is, I want to do keto for seven days. But then I want to return back to my regular diet, right? For a short term, like significant drop, do I hate it? Not really, right? It it pulls a little bit of the overconsumption of carbohydrates out of that little window of time that we need to make a transformation. But for a lifelong diet, um, unless there's a medical condition attached to it, I don't think there's really a sustainable benefit to it just because of how centered on fats we get. And fats being nine calories per gram, whereas carbohydrates and proteins, four calories per gram, we can really open up Pandora's box with that consumption pattern. So you think, um, do you think that long-term, so short-term, it sounds like you got a diet or something, you you got a wedding coming up, you're going to the beach, you got two or three weeks, maybe a month where you're like, I want to get down as lean as I can, get rid of some of this water weight. You might say, all right, if you're just, you know, if you're just thinking about leaning up, maybe it's a good thing. But for something long term, it doesn't feel sustainable. Uh, I would say so. Why? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it feels sustainable. And I would say even three or four weeks is kind of pushing the extent of it, too. I would say a one or two week, you know, pull in terms of like, you know, shedding some water, shedding some weight, like pretty quickly. Probably, again, not the healthiest approach, but I would say in terms of a a scale success, um, that would Mm -hmm. be that would be successful. So it's not sustainable because you think because nine calories per gram of fat, you think you people just generally overeat or is there some sort of other plateau that people hit? Yeah. I mean, our body just, uh, we've, you know, you go back to the caveman days. It's like, we've, we've operated on carbohydrates, right? It's not a matter of like, 
there's some magical science that somebody found out that we actually didn't need the carbohydrates we've consumed for entire mm -hmm. lives. Like that, that literally right. debunks the whole like fruit and vegetables are like worthless, right? That's, that's ultimately right. what we're saying. So one of the big things that we'll see with keto is that like, I, I don't think it's sustainable for the long haul because of one carbohydrates are a needed source of how we get through our day to day and our, our energy ah. source. And I think fruits and vegetables are a huge source of micronutrients um, or vitamins and minerals that like if we pull that out, we're probably going to start seeing some kind of a, you know, a deficiency in some of these vitamins too. If someone's not having fruit because they're demonizing fruit or they're scared of fruit because of the diet that they're on, like you're probably going to have to sub in a lot of capsulated formulas of vitamins for the fruit that you have now eliminated from your day to day. Ah, uh, so there's a micronutrient deficiency taking place here. And certainly like electrolytes, right? Like, I mean, a lot of these electrolyte powders and stuff seem to have arisen right around the time keto yeah. has gotten popular. I wonder if there's a correlation there between the fact that people are electrolyte mineral deficient because of their yeah. keto diets. Do you think that yeah. might be true? Uh, I don't know. I would, I don't know, honestly. Yeah, I think, you know, one of, the way I think about it is from the, the endurance training perspective of, you know, electrolyte formulas do have some kind of a simple sugar in it just to help our body digest mm -hmm. it. And that would be, you know, anti-keto at that point. Um, That's true. So I really, I, I would be curious to see if there is a correlation between those two, but you know, I, I tend to feel the same way. Like I think because of keto, we've seen some of those electrolyte formulas come out with like sugar free options, right. Or sugar yeah. substitute options. And I've, I've, you know, just being in the endurance field too, I've tested both of those. I'm like, does the sugar-free option work as well as the regular one? And it's like you you get a very, you know, pen on white like marker on whiteboard answer. Like it doesn't because natural sugars are what activate a lot of these things and will activate a lot of the energy that we sustain throughout the day. Um, so it's it, it puts us in a really difficult place because then you start confusing people even more with like sugar-free options, and then we have sugar alcohols and sugar substitutes and all that, right? Right. Right. Um, I read, um, you know, certainly Mark Sisson's come out with Primal Blueprint and stuff. And I know he's he's backed off on a lot of his like strict keto stuff. But what would you say to somebody who's like, hey, but if I get into ketosis, then I can I could burn fat as my primer, primary fuel source as opposed to glucose. Couldn't that work the same? Um, wouldn't I be OK if I did that? I, I mean, yeah, it's very you, you'll need a lot of day-to-day -day research and uh, you, you essentially have to turn yourself into a case study in that matter to get into ketosis every single day, right? It's like, there's no room for error in that sense. That sustainability, again, drops even a bigger percentage. Yeah. Um, so as, you know, of a hardo as I sound, it's like, no, if you put in consistent strength training work and then if you aim to get 7,500 to like 10,000 steps, I'm just setting an example out there, every single yeah. day, you would still burn the same amount of, you know, uh -huh. or unwanted weight that you would so yeah so so you could try and you, like you mentioned i think the sustainability piece there is huge mm -hmm. right because you're talking about if you've got to stay under let's say 20 30 maybe even some lucky people i gotta stay under 50 carbs a day um like there's no margin for error so like if you take eat some little thing and you know, all of a sudden boom you're out of ketosis and it's like yeah. Well, then that's just goes out the window. Performance suffers yes. and all that. And certainly if you're competing on any, you know, running some of these Spartan races, marathons, you know, anything endurance related, like your performance is going to just be in the tank. Like I've seen yeah. guys trying to do um, these like 
uh, Spartan beasts or um, some of these Iron Mans on fully fat adapted, and they're eating like these like uh, almond butter packets while they're trying to run and like MCT mixes and stuff. And I'm like, holy dude, that! First wow. of all, how do you eat that much fat while you're trying to train for something like that, let alone yeah. run the race, right? Like it feels like yeah. unsustainable. Yeah, and I think one thing too, like just to wrap up that thought, like it, it yeah. pulls you back in that same like headspace funk, right? We keep going back to this thing of like fear or failure and like just having that headspace that we've we've not been introducing a lot in the nutrition space up until these fat diets did really escalate to where they are now, right? So think about something. You gave a perfect example. If somebody's like, if 30 is a cutoff for ketosis for me and then I end up like, accidentally having something that has more carbs than I thought and I drop into 35 and I'm not in ketosis anymore. Think about the headspace that puts that person in, right? They're like, oh, wow, I'm a failure. I couldn't hold to what I needed to. And now I'm in this really gray space of I'm at 35 grams. So like I, I'm not in ketosis, so I'm, I'm a failure, but I'm not going to consume any more because then I completely give up on keto, which I've committed myself to. So they're in a space of like just feeling lost, feeling confused and feeling like they've, they've ultimately failed. And that is, that's not a healthy wellness space to be in by any means. <laughs> what, what kind of life is that, right? Now you're, you know, you're trying to go out to eat with your, your friends or, you know, your spouse, whatever. And, yeah. you know, you're, you're like, well, what kind of, you know, yeah. what kind of seasoning did you use? Is there carbohydrate yeah. in it? And so all of a sudden the sustainability piece, like you mentioned, yeah. is just, and all of a sudden, maybe they're in this spot where it's like, I'm not losing what's yes. going on and what's wrong with me. And now then you're starting to spiral into that spot. Okay. Okay. Yes. So that's keto. Let's, there's probably more, there's, there's a way more that could be said that I'm sure you could talk about, but let's talk about another of my uh, personal favorites, a vegan diet. Lots of people love the vegan diet and you, you go online and there's this big thing going around with Star Jones right now. Is it Star Jones? No, it's uh, Wendy Williams. Jeez, I just confused Star. Am I racist? I know I'm black, but am I racist for confusing Star Jones and Wendy Williams? Anyway, uh, Wendy Williams um, just was like, she went a few years ago, I'm going full vegan. Like I've lost 50 pounds from vegan diet, but then something just recently came out. Now she's got like early onset dementia and all these mm -hmm. other causes. It's tragic and horrible. Um, you don't have to go into that if you don't want, but I'm curious, pros and cons of vegan diet. What are some good things and some things that maybe... Yeah. I mean, I think the vegan diet really, you know, escalated quickly when a couple of documentaries came out on, on Netflix, right? That was one of the big things was like, I've never experimented with a keto, uh, vegan diet, but as soon as I saw some of these documentaries, I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. I think, I think it's the vegan diet itself. It's, it's amazing that it introduces a lot of fruit and vegetables into consumers who weren't having it previously, right? Like, Friends that have done the vegan diet, I've seen them try grains, like whole grains that I've never seen them have before, which is, it's amazing, right? High five. You're trying buckwheat for the first time. You're trying bulgur for the first time. Like, that is amazing. It's unlocked right. a whole new potential that you've never had before. But I think it's the extremity of how they go from a, you know, a, a meat consuming diet to a vegan diet the next day. And then there's this like, you know, perplexed image of like, no, I'm never going back to the meat consumption like I did before. That's so nasty. Like I didn't, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, it's ultimately like tuning one side out to come into one side. That's made it very difficult. I think if there was a transition into maybe I can pull back, you know, red meat to, to once a week and then include more vegetables in, like, I know that wouldn't be a vegan diet ultimately, but I think a, a softer transition would yield a lot better output for these folks. Mm. 
because I think what I see with the vegan diet, and I think not just me alone, but in, in studies that we see is that when we do pull back from some of the protein consumption, like one, we see our protein numbers come down because somebody who's not slowly transitioning into accommodating their protein needs with vegan options, like it's not, especially if you're going vegan and not vegetarian, it's very difficult as a new person coming into it to hit anything above 100 grams on a vegan diet for protein, mm -hmm. right? Like you're not, the regular average consumer coming from a, a meat-eating diet to a vegan diet is not familiar with cooking lentils, cooking chickpeas, right? Like mm -hmm. you're, you're not making these great, nobody like tempeh, tofu, like these are things that are not regular staple items in a meat eater's diet. So when they come in to that vegan platform, it's like, what do I do? Where do I go? And that problem solving phase takes a pretty significant amount of time where we're having like two, three, four weeks of a pretty rock bottom protein number. Um, mm. And I think what we see out of that is like, there's just depletions too, right? We see deficits in iron, we see deficits in B12. And there's just, there's a lot of, you know, uh, micronutrient and macronutrients, you know, impact that we, we tend to overlook when we do that switch because we want to, like, we just, we, we feel all the high fives of trying all these new vegetables and grains and fruits, but we don't realize how much we're putting behind. So, so they're able to have someone who's transitioning onto a, a vegan diet can have a, tr a ton of success uh, right away because they're probably yeah. coming off maybe a standard American diet anyway. So mm -hmm. they go from eating way too much and probably a lot of garbage mm -hmm. to going to fruits, vegetables, whole grains. And so now they're feeling better probably initially. Um, but then after, over the course of time, it sounds like, Hey, now all of a sudden you're not getting enough protein. Yes. What, what might be a, what might be a challenge of trying to get enough protein on a vegan diet, especially when, you know, could there be gut effects with all of the beans and lentils? Like, is it even possible to get, you know, enough protein on a vegan diet anyway? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, like you said, the, the GI piece is, is a big factor, right? That's why we'll see a lot of folks like if like veganism is not in their blood from the start, right? If they haven't been a vegan their whole life and they're just transitioning into it, what we'll see in the nutrition world is that they'll go vegan and then shift over to vegetarian so that they can include, you know, uh, like, like dairy products in to add in a little bit of protein mm. too. Um, and then we'll see a lot of like, uh, you know, I, I'm going vegetarian, but I want to add in eggs or egg whites. I'm going vegetarian. I want to add in, you know, pescatarian. I'm going to add in fish, right? Where there's uh, modifications being made, which is like for a dietitian, that is like the light bulb moment, right? You've realized uh -huh. that you're under consuming something. So you're okay bringing something else in. It's pretty awesome to see that. But then, like you said, with GI health, it's like if somebody's so committed that they're like, no, I'm going vegan and vegan only. Yeah. And they're brand new to it and have had exposure. And like, they know that one option is the only way they can get protein in with every single meal. And they're just like, it's, it's again, it's the same concept of everything in moderation, right? Like even as a non-vegan, if I had beans with every single meal, mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't feel so hot. Right. But when yeah. you're relying specifically on those beans to be your only source of protein or your major source of protein for the day, and you tend to consume a lot bigger portion you're probably going to have some GI funk at first. You're like, did I make the right decision or not? Because this doesn't really feel that great. I feel more bloated than before. Um, you know, bowel movements all over the place. Right. And we see, you know, we, we see a lot of change. It's a, I would say out of all the diets, it's the biggest swing coming from a non-vegan diet into a vegan diet. 
and swing in in terms of positive swing or swing in terms of negative? What are you saying? What do you see? I would honestly say both in positive in terms of a very, you know, open palate in terms of trying a lot more fruit and vegetables in their diet if they weren't doing it before. So positive there Mm -hmm. Um, and negative in terms of, you know, reports of GI feeling super funky. Uh, right. reports of having a really, really tough time mentally and actually consuming adequate protein. Um, like you said before too, with protein, it's like you can have a day or two where you consume less protein than your usual, right. Or than your target. And you don't feel bad. It's like, if I have 130, 140 gram protein day right now at 210 pounds, I'm like, okay, like yesterday I probably could have eaten a little bit more. That's okay. You repeat that for day two on a trip. You're like, okay, like this week is I'm not hitting my numbers. That's okay. right? Mm-hmm. But if you're doing that over a prolonged amount of time, your body's going to get to a point where like, Hey, I gave you the benefit of the doubt for six days. It's day seven where you're now under consuming protein. What the heck's going on? So your body goes into this, like, let's pump up the inflammation. Let's put on the airbags. Let's figure out why we're in this like fight or flight mode right now and, and, and dissolve, you know, where the issue is. And I think a lot of people, a lot of average consumers have a difficult time again, deconstructing why that's happening. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to see people's like sort of philosophical mind games mm-hmm. kind of come into play when all of a sudden the diet is not producing the results they expected it to. Yeah. One of the things I've seen with keto diets, I've seen you see it with almost every diet is, uh, it, but even the vegan diet is this like dirty vegan diet. You see it all the time. It's like there's this philosophical adherence to veganism, but then all of a sudden, yeah. okay, well, Lay's potato chips are vegan and Oreos are vegan. Do you think that like sort of this dirty vegan sort of diet is uh, an issue? Are you seeing that? Are people trying to stick to a vegan diet while eating kind of food that's gross and maybe is metabolically affecting them in other ways? I mean, luckily I haven't seen too much of that. Um, I I totally agree with that concept though. Like I, I joke around, I actually just had this conversation last week with somebody and in terms of Oreos being vegan. And that's actually the first time I heard the dirty vegan term and, uh, and being a coffee fanatic. Like when I hear somebody get a dirty chai, I'm like, do you want a chai or do you want an espresso? Like, let's not, let's not combine the two. Right. There's a little confusion happening there. Right. Uh, so I think about it in that perspective of, we know that some of these ingredients, like, right. When we think about Oreos, we think about, you know, what's really in the middle. It's just, you know, and again, this could be very wrong, but like when people look at it, they're like, oh, it's just confectionery sugar and Crisco, right? That's all the middle of an Oreo is. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, sure, it's vegan, but there's no health benefit to it. But (laughs) we're just able to, I think it's more so we're just able to defend ourselves in a vegan platform of saying, yeah, but this is vegan, so I'm okay eating it, right? It's like, I, I think, again, it goes back to exactly where we started this conversation. Like we need to pull people way back to 101 to say, hey, vegan, keto, regular diet, like doesn't matter. If I was to ask you about Oreos, how would you look at it in a nutritional composition perspective, right? Mm. Like, I'm not like, I, I don't want you to defend something because it falls within your selected diet. I want you to know the nutritional components of what you're consuming and see how it fits, right? I think if it fits your macros was one of the trending diets that that right. kind of created that like that dirty approach around it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can, I had somebody on just Girl Scout cookies and deli meat that they were able to hit their macros every single day, right? But wow, what is the nutritional component of deli meat and Girl Scout cookies at the end of the day, right? You're, you're, there's 
a plethora of micronutrients were missing. So right. cool, that, cool that you hit your macros, but not cool where we go to your next blood panel. Like, I don't want to be responsible for that conversation with your primary care. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to get to the ultra, ult, like the ultra processed stuff here in a yeah. second, but I got to ask about a couple more of these other diets because I, yeah. what you just said was incredibly important. Um, but uh, so we've done keto, we've done a little bit of this vegan diet. Now the the, the Paul Saladino uh, craze that's going on because of he's got so punchy. It's not just him; there's other people, but because there's such such punchy content online, it's yeah. really really popular right now. I've got a lot of friends, a lot of people I know doing carnivore diets. So I, I got to know from your perspective. You know, as a as a dietitian, yeah. somebody comes in. I'm doing the carnivore diet. What are some of the pros? What are some of the cons of a diet like this? Uh, yeah, that's that's an awesome one. And again, I'll just I'll kind of sprinkle in the fact that I don't get as much of the carnivore diet consumers coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's because they're just they're stubborn and set on their ways and don't <laughs> want to change it. Probably. Or probably. yeah, or if we're just not seeing a big enough you know percentage of of carnivore diet followers at the moment and. I think one of the biggest things we see with the carnivore diet, you're definitely not shy on any protein, right? Mm-hmm. If your, your your primary consumption is is meat in that sense, you're you're not falling short on any protein by any means. Um, and I think one of the misconceptions are like you know, and just to defend the carnivore side, I suppose, um, is mm-hmm. that you know you can overconsume protein, like unless there is a health condition that's already there. Um, the numbers to overconsume protein throughout the day are significantly higher than a lot of us think. Um, mm. So, like, it's not really putting you in danger. You probably end up going to the bathroom more, and your GI is not feeling comfortable. But you got to think about the other things, right? Like a lot of the carnivore diet posts that I see. Like, if you are on a, and again, this is me just like putting it on the spotlight. If you're on a carnivore diet that was like very, very beneficial, you would be spending a significant amount of money on the lean and quality cuts of meat to where that mm-hmm. diet is no longer sustainable. Right. Mm. But then if we think about some of these cuts of meat, then we think about saturated fats, saturated fats have been linked to a lot of metabolic health risks. Mm. Um, so if meat is a primary consumption and we're not thinking about that saturated fat piece, right, there's, there's something that we need to start thinking about um, mm-hmm. in terms of the long-term effect of what are we going to see with, you know, some of the metabolic risks that come with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the on both sides of it, right? We want to be fair to all these diets. Like they're yeah. all going to have positives, and a lot of them, quite honestly, are probably better than you know standard American diet of eating lots of processed, ultra processed foods and etc. But there is drawbacks to this carnivore diet, right? They're they're you know certainly getting enough protein, but mm-hmm. then what about what are the other sides and other effects? And you know you can have a you know, dirt, let's say a dirty vegan diet, maybe you can have a dirty, dirty keto diet, but what about a carnivore diet where, you know, you're going to Costco and just buying Costco hot dogs all day and just eating the hot dog out of the bun. I mean, what, what may be happening there as it relates yeah. to that, right? Yeah. I mean, I, any case meat is going to be the, the top, top, top contributor to saturated fats too. So, mm-hmm. you know, that just says kind of holds my argument in terms of how quickly we're going to spike in saturated fats and we're going to see some of the, you know, elevated triglycerides. We're going to see some of these medical conditions fold a lot quicker. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I, I thought you were going to say more so, you know, I guess that is our dirty approach of a dirty carnivore diet, but like it really, it's, it's such a difficult field in terms of like, I don't there's no, um, again, I, like I said, unless we're going for clean cuts of meat every single time, which are like wholesome quality cuts, like we're not going to be 
in a good place. So. so let me let me dive deeper a little bit in this yeah. because part of the part of the argument for a carnivore diet or any or any diet is any diet when it comes to meat is quality cuts of meat. Let's say you're doing organic grass fed meat. You're getting saturated fat, but higher omega three content. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the animals aren't eating trash, and they're not maybe like hormone yeah. pumped. All these different things. Would you say there is benefit to eating higher higher quality cuts of meat as it relates to like let's say we're saying wild caught fish, wild caught yeah. salmon, grass fed beef, beef as opposed to you know kind of your your traditionally raised animal lower quality meat. Would you say that there is a gradient there and it's not just that meat is bad or even all saturated yeah. fat is bad um, and maybe that there are variances in quality without a would that affect it? Uh, I would say so. I would definitely see an effect. I, again, I don't know if that effect is prolonging, you know, in terms of when we start seeing some of the metabolic risks unfold, if, if we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think definitely quality is going to play a huge ingredient. Um, and I think, again, you know, like if we go into the quality conversation of especially oils, if we're talking about saturated fats, right, like seed mm-hmm. oils and a lot of the conversations we're seeing now are mm-hmm. around the quality of where they're sourced from. So I think a quality of meat is probably going to make it a little better of an approach for sure. But then that gets me into thinking about the sustainability side of things of like, you know, how much grass fed cattle do we have available to us that if 50% of the population wants to go on the carnivore diet, what do we do? Right. Yeah. Cows, cows don't grow fast enough. That's (laughs) well, they do. If you pump them full of hormones and make them five times the size and lock their heads in vice grips and make them in city garbage and corn and grain, you know, Maybe it is possible. It is possible. We're already doing it, but it's it's not sustainable to do it well. It yeah. sounds like potentially. Yeah, for sure. And I think you know, on the non-meat side, on the fish side too. Like one of the biggest researches I I did coming out of undergrad was, you know, comparing grass-fed bacon to farm tilapia, mm-hmm. um, and not oh, wow. grass-fed bacon, but more so just uh, you know a clean-sourced bacon. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, that we're seeing a lot more nutrition value in that bacon than in the tilapia just because of how mass produced that tilapia is, right? It's just like, if you think about, you know, one fish has to have numerous or possibly even several hundred babies in order to produce that kind of a tilapia cut. Like you, you can't go from taking a nutrient profile, separating into two or three tilapia into separating into a hundred tilapia. And then you like, it's essentially, you know, I, again, I'm not a big tilapia fan at all, and I'm not going to be biased on how I explain it, but it's more so just like we're not seeing a lot of the nutritional value that we used to just because mm-hmm. of mass production in that sense. I'll be biased, too. Tilapia is disgusting. It's 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 gross, flavorless fish, and it's really cheap, and it, but it's cheap for a reason. So you're talking 100%. about like uh, – you're talking about farm fish versus let's say wild caught let it's easy wild caught alaskan salmon i'm out here in the seattle area this stuff's everywhere especially out in you know out in alaska they're doing a lot of this fishing you're catching this fish you're getting higher quality fish right and so i mean you even see some of these some of the stuff that some of this farm fish eats is not in its natural form so going back to the conversation around all right, well, human beings pulling carbohydrates out of a, a diet that humanity has been eating for thousands of years mm-hmm. seems kind of foolish. Well, all of a sudden giving uh, fish um, high amounts of like soybean oil and grain and corn to make them bigger and to produce faster doesn't seem smart either, wouldn't yeah. you say? Yeah, I would say so. I would uh, – yeah. you're definitely changing – 
the evolution of, uh, of an animal. Um, and I think you, you said it right too. Like we're, we're ultimately becoming, you know, farmed humans, uh, when we start pulling those things out. So yeah, for yeah. sure. What about as it relates to carnivore and even just any diet? What about like organ meats, especially from higher quality animals? It's such a big craze right now. Yeah. Getting some of those micronutrients um, in, in some of these organs. What would you say about that? Someone is like, yeah, I want to start eating more liver and kidney. Yeah. Yeah. And I grew up, again, growing up in Turkey, there's a lot of organ meat consumption in Turkey. But this is so, that's why I love holding this kind of conversation in a sense of like, I would defend organ meat consumption in moderation, right? But like mm. when someone's like, all I eat is liver, then you're probably <laughs> possibly overdoing Like it's a lot fattier. Yeah. There's a lot more contamination in some of these, you know, some of these meats. Like in Turkey, you'll see a lot of like intestines, organ, brain, like a lot of these things get heart, they, they get consumed to where there's yeah. some research definitely for sure out there that say that, you know, eating heart helps your heart, right? There's like, there's, there's a lot of correlation in between the two, but I think it's a very moderation driven approach that I think that yeah. like, I think we, we, we as humans are set on again, instant gratification as like the, the main thing or like do more because I'll get more out of it kind of an approach. So if I'm like, yeah, my liver health is not that great. So if I eat liver, it'll help me. If I eat 10 times the liver, it'll help me 10 times as fast. That's not how it works in a lot of these organ meats. And I think that's where we tend to get lost, right? When someone's like, you know, chomping away at a raw piece of liver, then I'm like, yeah, it looks wild. That makes me click on it on social media. Yeah, that's right. But if I was to season it and air fry it and have some enjoyable, delicious liver once a month or once every two mm -hmm. weeks or whatever, like in a moderation or a portion that's actually normal, um, <laughs> yeah. then it's just a much easier debate to hold. Well, it, the same is kind of true. I mean, I'm curious to know what you think about nuts. I mean, you think about, you know, back in the day, you used to have to harvest nuts you'd have to crack them open and consume them but now you can just buy like a bag of yeah. like even though nuts most nuts like let's say almonds or something that you macadamia nuts maybe something that's you would perceive as healthy just to be able to have like an un unedited unfiltered bag of nuts uh with tons of salt and seed oils over them it feels like we're, we're overdoing something that could be potentially good for us uh for sure and i think you you know portion wise you said yeah. we had to crack open the walnut right i, I think about as a mm -hmm. as a kid in turkey like i've never had walnuts already ready to eat like it was always like get the nutcracker crack the walnut pull the pieces out eat it you eat 10 walnuts at that point you're like okay it's been a half hour i'm exhausted yeah. i have no more I'm done i'm right? not even there's hungry a, anymore right exactly there's a huge difference between that and dipping your hand right now into a costco bag of walnuts and eating you know, that's the same amount, if not three times the portion. I think that's where we've kind of won. But, you know, without all the seed oils and salt, too, we've gotten to a place where portion control with nuts has really gone down a rabbit hole where, like, I think about shelled pistachios, right? Like, I love pistachios and, like, they're yeah. amazing. They're delicious. And if we get into a pattern where we buy them without the shells, right, it's just it's such an easy bag to just go in on. Um, but they're so like nutrient dense, they're so fat dense that like you can overdo it so, so easily. Um, so I think that right. the, the overconsumption is really one of the big things. Like if I'm ever trying to pull calories out of somebody's consumption, the first thing I'll ask is like, you know, how frequently are you eating trail mix at your desk? Or when you're on the road, what's your go-to snack? And I'll always hear like, oh, trail mix. And it's like, it's not the couple Oreos that are mixed into their store-bought trail mix. 
it's the several handfuls of peanuts that they'll have over the course of a half hour window, right? It's like, it's, it's those things that really first set the baseline of like why nuts have become an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and again, nuts have really, really good properties too. So if we can moderate them, they're great. But to your point of, you know, we tend to go for some of the salted roasted nuts because they just, they're much more pleasing to when we have guests over and we put them out on a charcuterie board, or we just want to snack on them throughout the day because we have a little bit of a salt craving and a regular, you know, almond doesn't really do justice. Um, what we tend to overlook is that we look at the label of something and we say, okay, this has eight grams of fat. No crap. Mm -hmm. It has eight grams of fat because it's almonds. But maybe in our head, what we don't realize is that six grams of that fat is from almonds. Two grams is from the sunflower oil that they've roasted it in. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really where a lot of the overconsumption combined with some of these additives of, you know, a significant amount of sodium to make them salty or a significant amount of sunflower oil to roast them to a level where they're super enjoyable to us, make them dangerous. Yeah. Okay. Well, you brought up sunflower oil, so I, I got to get into the, the ultra processed food conversation and seed oils that the conversation on seed oils is, is big right now as well. I mean, you've got things like canola oil, um, you've got the sunflower oil, you've got some of these big, these more hot button oils. You certainly got the Crisco, you've got the hydrogenated oil stuff, like you mentioned, all of these things, right? But all of this plays into this, also this conversation around ultra processed food. So if we're talking about calories in calories out, you give me a, if I, if I come in, I'm a client, you give me, let's say 2,200, 2,500, 3,000 calories, whatever it is to eat this. Um, are there issues that come up eating, just hitting my calorie number, hitting my macro number, hitting my carbohydrate number, hitting my protein number, my fat number, but it's being done with things like McDonald's and pizza mm -hmm. and, and lots of oils. Are you seeing that? Do you see that as an issue for people? Are there other things at play or is that yeah. fine? Yeah. That's, I mean, you would be a magician if you were to hit your numbers uh, without Let's going over on carbs and fats. Uh -huh. um, but I think one of the big things that we do see is like, it, it's our bodies are so good. And I love this, that they do this because this is like your body doing our work as well of just, you know, the dietitian side reminding you that like, if you hit those numbers on fast food and if you hit those numbers on ultra processed food, you're probably not going to be as satisfied or satiated throughout the day anyway. Right. It's much easier. If I made a giant bowl of salad with like all of these toppings and I, I just put olive oil on it and have it at home, that salad is significantly more filling and probably less calories than a sausage egg McMuffin. Right. Like it's just and if you think about it in terms of like what keeps you fuller longer, like there's I think one of the biggest things that we'll see with super processed foods is that the instant satisfaction is cool. Right. We have this, like, I think about like in and out burger, one of my favorite spots, right? Like mm -hmm. I have an in and out burger. I'm like, that was actually really satisfying. That was delicious. But then, you know, you, maybe you feel a little greasy for the next hour or two, mm -hmm. but then when the window of snacking comes afterwards, you're like, well, I'm, I'm actually really hungry again. And yeah. now I want something naughtier or dirtier because I had in and out already. Right. So I think, that's really where we see some of the the problem with ultra processed foods. Like it just, it gets people to their numbers, their target numbers so much quicker mm. that you start developing a negative relationship with like, well, I have so much time in the day. What do I do now since I've already hit all of my numbers? <laughs> right. So do I, do I just build in intermittent fasting since I have a massive window that I don't need to eat in? 
right? Yeah. Or do I figure out how I can pull back some of the processed food, bring in some whole food that I make at home or meal prep or even like cater um, to where I, I actually feel satiated. Like I just, that, right. to umbrella that entire conversation, it's like, you know, it speaks volume and would you rather go into the gym and hit a workout, whether it's a high intensity interval training workout on a McDonald's meal or something you've cooked at home with some fresh fruit, fresh veggies and a lean protein source, right? Like your body's going to speak in volume in that sense that it, it kind of tells you like probably okay here and there, but probably not okay to be a regular pattern. Yeah. So, so it sounds like satiety is a big issue, right? So if you've got Huge. this hunger hormone that gets triggered by all of these processed foods and some of that's by design, I mean, some of this is, you know, especially, you know, Nabisco or whatever these big companies are, General Mills, their desire is to get you not healthy, but to yeah. buy more food. Like they, mm-hmm. there's an economic reason involved. And so if they can engineer this food that it, it triggers those cravings, then maybe mission accomplished for them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let, let, let's not, I would love to just play the game that all these food companies are benevolent and kind and they just want your best. But maybe I'm a skeptic. You're the prof- I don't see that to be true. And it sounds like you yeah. might you might sort of agree at least a little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, they want you to buy more, right? That's always the case. Consume more, buy more and and kind of inflate their, you know, revenue for the year. It's it's really ultimately where it goes. Like if you think about Pringles, right? Like I've never had one Pringle in my life. Like it would be kind of crazy yeah. to have like one chip and you're done, right? That's you yeah. kind of get into a pattern of like, okay, I can maybe have five, and then you get into a pattern of like, well, five stacked is such a better mouthfeel than five by themselves, and then you start stacking. <laughs> and it's one of those things when you buy like, you know, Girl Scout cookies or Chips Ahoy cookies mm-hmm. or Oreos. It's like we we've gotten to a place where society or even friends look at you and they're like, dude, how do you just eat one Girl Scout cookie? It doesn't happen. Right. So mm-hmm. the consumption and volume, like it's just, it's become such a norm because like you said, a lot of these companies have an amazing handle on how to make you want more. Right. Wow. It's like they're, they're yeah. just, they've, they've engineered it perfectly where you're like, Hey, one was good, but 100 could be better. Um, and then you just yeah. go down. Uh, you know, and and the thing is, again, goes back to the whole headspace mindset around it, that if oftentimes you have three cookies, you're like, well, I kind of threw it out the window today anyway, so maybe I shouldn't track what I'm eating. Then three cookies turns into nine cookies and you're like, well, I'm not tracking anyway at this point, so who cares, right? And then we have this like, like dig a hole and then correct yourself, dig a hole and correct yourself. Like it's just this very unhealthy pattern of back and forth. Um, that a lot of these very, like, I don't want to say the word addictive, but like very enticing to eat more ingredients tend to do to us. Yeah. So it go, again, it goes back to that whole, the whole conversation around, you know, our, our fears, our frustrations, our angers, but our desires for what we want for ourselves. And if you're living this life on this, like uh, I'm all in, I'm going hard and then I fall off the wagon. And then I've got to, maybe I take a day or two to just eat whatever. And then I have to go back up. And now all of a sudden I'm living this life where I'm up and down and up and down, but I'm progressively get, you know, I'm progressively feeling worse. Yeah. I'm progressively performing worse. I'm progressively looking not the way I want to look. Now all of a sudden I'm living a life that I don't want to live, even though I'm tr- giving a lot of effort to try to live otherwise. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just not what we want. But, and also I, I don't know, you know, I've seen these studies, maybe you've seen them too around 
around willpower and around self-control. And it feels like if you're going to try to hit your, you know, your goals, your, whether it's your calorie goals or your macronutrient goals with a lot of these processed food, it's going to take your, like you mentioned, you're going to hit your, hit your number faster. And then it's going to take a lot of willpower in between meals to, to not try to snack and seeing that willpower and self-control being the finite resources they are in the sense of, I've also got to exercise willpower and self-control in other areas of my life, not just eating. Like, yeah. you know, I've, I've got a job, I've got to exercise, I've got kids or I've got family or friends. There's a lot of areas. And so you're going to run out of that pretty quick and the stresses of life get to you. And all of a sudden the thing that, the thing that gets where the, the dam breaks is the diet. Yes. Now. One, 100%. And one of the reasons that breaks so easily is that magically those things aren't seeing as much of an increase in pricing in, in food, right? It's like some of the unhealthier things, some of the more processed things just magically tend to stay right around the same price. Or you're like, well, it's cheap, it's easy, it's efficient. Yeah. We just go for it, which makes it even harder for us to be like, no, thank you. I'll go for this option instead. You know, when you're in a, in a state of financial decision-making, you're like, well, you know, this hot dog or this slushy is like, it's, it's only a dollar. Like how bad it's could it cheap. be? Right? Yeah. Right. Well, on that, just on the sidebar on that, have you seen the whole like $18 Big Mac meal thing come up? I, I have not. There's like a few parts of the country where like there's something went viral where a lady posted, she ordered a, a Big Mac meal and got like something on the side and ended up like triggering like $18 for it. And so like McDonald's is catching a lot of flack right now because they're saying, well, I thought the reason why it's not like we go to McDonald's because it's the best food we can find. It's because it's cheap. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So now all of a sudden, if it's not cheap and it's terrible for me, like, what am I doing here? Right. So anyway, yeah. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. But. No, I didn't. And that's, that's so funny because I just had a conversation about the hot dog from Costco, right? That's one of the conversations I have too. There's so many memes going around that say like- $1.50. Yeah. Everything is seen inflation except for the Costco hot dog, right? <laughs> yeah. And the conversations that I have, everyone's like, oh, dude, I just, I love the way the hot dog tastes. I'm like, do you love the way it tastes or do you love the way it tastes for a $1.50 hot dog? Right. It's just, yeah. we have to have these conversations in our head. And I think we tend to overlook those when the monetary value is so chewable and we're just like, Meh, it's easy, let's do it. And then you tend to forget about every single thing we learned in nutrition one-on-one coming into it. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Right. Yeah. Do you love it or do you love it because it's a dollar fifty? I think that's a great, great way to put it. Well, hey, we've been talking a long time. It's we're over an hour now. Um, I do. I have a question I'd like to ask you that I, mm -hmm. I typically ask most people that jump on with me or have historically, and it's you know being a registered dietitian. It, there's going to be some people listening to this that are like, man, I, I'm hearing all this. There's, there's a lot of great stuff here. There's a lot of pitfalls. But what are like one, two, three things that I could do? today this week that could give me pointed in the right direction so if you were going to tell somebody like if there was a couple pieces of practical advice for getting started on the right way towards a great diet like what would you say to them would it be like you know some people would say some people have said on the podcast get rid of gluten forever or never drink your calories or you know whatever it is what would be your two or three of those things that's a good one uh, I definitely wouldn't get rid of anything forever. Uh, I love mm -hmm. moderation across everything. I would say one of the big things is I would honestly like going back to the one-on-one -on -one approach, start by taking a look at what you're already doing, right? Whether that means you go into a free nutrition tracking app or you just take pictures of the meals that you eat and you just compare a weekday and a weekend, get a better understanding of where you currently stand before you commit to anything diet wise. 
and just see what that, what that gives you ideas around, right? If you like have a side-by-side picture of what you've eaten for the day between breakfast, lunch, and dinner, when you see them all next to each other, you tend to like, no matter what kind of a nutrition background you have, you tend to get a much better understanding of like, oh boy, I'm probably not eating enough vegetables looking at these pictures, right? Mm. Or I need to eat more fruit in between my meals, or I'm not getting enough protein. Like you don't need to be a nutrition expert to start seeing those patterns. So Mm -hmm. I would say start by just getting a better grasp on what you're consuming uh, before making any change. Like it's like, you know, diagnose the problem first internally before you externally swing into any of these extreme diets. Um, So I would say that's one. I would say get a water bottle that you don't mind carrying around, right? I know that's such a basic, basic perspective, but like underconsumption of water tends to be the biggest issue around why we don't feel satisfied or full because we're not drinking wow. enough water and we constantly go for something that's going to you know, fill our hands or fill our stomach instead. Um, so go for a water bottle that you would carry around, refill and keep drinking from. Um, I know we're on this Stanley Cup trend right now. Um, yeah, we are. If you want a Stanley Cup, go ahead and get one. If you want just a regular water bottle, um, go ahead and grab one too. But if you can keep yourself more consistent with hydration, you'll just see, you know, just better, you know, mental state overall, energy across the day overall. And and it'll just level out how satisfied you feel post-meal and pre-meal. Um, and then last but not least, I would say, these are good questions, man. Um I would say before you dive into any of, and this is probably the hardest one for people to listen to and and apply, but before you dive into any of the diets or fads or extremes that you see, especially on social media, I would say block out 20 or 30 minutes out of a day that you have time to just see some, some research behind it. And this is again, me just going down the nerdy rabbit hole, but it doesn't take much time for you to hop on Google type in, you know, if it's a keto diet, right? Again, I'm not ripping on a diet, but if you go keto diet scholar and then search it on Google, it'll give you all the scholar articles or studies that have been done on it and just the benefits and how they've applied. Do a little bit of research, right? You would, like, if you were buying a brand new car, you wouldn't just be like, oh, I saw this car on Instagram. It's cool. So I went and bought a Range Rover, right? It's like, there's a lot of research that goes into it. There's a lot of thinking that we do behind it. So do the same for some of these workouts that you're going to apply or some of these, you know, different diets that you want to dabble with do a little bit of research and see if it's right for you so that it doesn't turn into this, like, you know, zero to a hundred back to a zero real quick. Dude, that's great advice. Obviously if someone has been working as long as you have in the field, man, you get to meet with lots of different people, all shapes and forms, every walk of life. Um, and so, you know, the practical advice it's the little things that really get us that next level. And sometimes these punchy clips, online are these like really nuanced things that are stated in this matter of fact way that just leads people astray. And it's so much easier to go, Hey man, drink enough water, do some research on the diets you see, go figure, let's see what can happen from you and actually pay attention to how much you eat and when, man, those little things right there can go a long way, man. If, if people want to find you that are listening, man, where can they find you? Social media stuff, all that. Yeah. Absolutely. So if they want to find me on social media, I'm on um, Instagram as dr underscore synonymous. Um, so Dr. Synonymous on Instagram. Again, if they go through the Stronger You platform as well, Stronger and the letter U um, is the nutrition coaching company that I am with. Um, mm-hmm. Again, just an amazing, amazing team of about 50 coaches on our team too. So any of us are going to offer you know some wonderful feedback so you guys can find us right through the Stronger You platform as well. 
And, uh, and yeah, any questions you have, I'm always, always open to answering nutrition questions. So. That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you being on, dude. I'll put all the links on the sh- in the show notes. So YouTube, IG, anything, people can find those there as well. Man, hey, Sanan, thanks so much for being on with us, dude. Absolutely. It was awesome to see you again. Yeah, you too, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. One more thing. The statements in this video or audio have not been evaluated by the FDA, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Information provided here is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The information provided by this website and or by this podcast is not a substitute for a physician visit and should not be taken as medical advice of any sort or kind. This is a list of resources for further self-research and work with your personal physician if needed. By using any of this information, by watching, listening, or reading it, you are accepting responsibility for your own health and health decisions and expressly release this podcast, its participants, and its websites from any and all liability whatsoever, including that which might come from negligence. Also, don't smoke cigarettes, don't do drugs, stay in school, don't touch hot surfaces, and please wear your safety glasses when cutting wood.